Hi, uh, my name is Isaac Carley. I'm a registered architect with JLG Architects, and this is the Community Matters Podcast. Today, we're sharing an interview I did with Clinique Chapman, who's an associate director at the Vera Institute of Justice, and she was joined by her colleague, Chris Franco, who is a training and site coordinator for Milpa Collective. So Vera and Milpa are two organizations that have partnered to build an initiative called Restoring Promise. And that initiative focuses on creating housing units grounded in dignity for young adults in prison. We wanted to highlight this conversation for you because these two people and Restoring Promise as a larger organization, they're really making change in a system that's so difficult to make change in. What we learned from listening back to Clinique and Chris in this conversation was that if you can seek out people who have the same goals as you do and make a commitment to working together to achieve those goals, you can begin to make some change happen. By going into facilities and involving both residents and staff, they collectively work to build processes and buy-in that will have lasting effects well after their work is done. In a sense, they're helping to build community within those spaces. And as they do this work in facility after facility, they're building a larger community that is beginning to stretch across the country and will only grow as positive results make their way to the surface. We see them as not only doing the heart and the hard work, as you'll hear them describe it, but working very smart too. They were a joy to talk with. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation and gain some perspective, as I know I did. Episode 5, the Community Matters Podcast, JLG Architects. So this is Clinique Chapman, um, and I'll, I'll say again, I, I think um, it's really important that you all are having these conversations and exploring. Um, I appreciate that, you know, you all are recognizing that it's a multidisciplinary approach to solving the issues, right? It's not just for Vera, it's not just for Milpa, it's not just for those who are most impacted to be doing this work, but it's really a, a mass incarceration is everyone's problem in this country. And so definitely appreciate the approach that you all are taking to learn more so that you can do more. Um, I am a forensic social worker, clinical social worker. By trade, um, I'm an associate director at the Vera Institute of Justice, where I work on the Restoring Promise Initiative, doing prison reform work across the country. Um, I'm a professor at Howard University School of Social Work, where I teach up-and-coming graduate-level, master's-level social workers the intricacies of this field so that they can be better suited and better prepared to do the work um, um, when they go out. And I was... Uh, I began my career uh, spending about a decade at the D.C. Public Defender Service, where I really was able to understand and, and write and advocate for um, and understand the stories of those most impacted to be able to advocate on their behalf to um, finding least restrictive environments, essentially trying to keep people out of prison, not of jail is how I started my career. And so it's interesting now to be on this side where I'm working on prison reform, um, which is very necessary as well. Um, and I've also spent time working inside of jails. Um, and so in the DC area. So I've had, you know, my share of, um, my share of, of doing this work and it's very necessary and just happy to be here in this conversation. And I'll pass over to Chris to introduce himself as well. Yeah. Thank you, Clinique. And, uh, my full name is, uh, Christian Franco. My friends call me Chris and I am the training and site coordinator for an old organization, um, called MILPA. Uh, the acronym stands for motivating individual leadership for public advancement. Um, and I come into this work with uh, 15 years of experience in process sector systems change, um, you know, targeting physical, behavior, social, and emotional um, 
challenges, determinants of health, if you would. Um, and so uh, for me, uh, my role with the uh, Restoring Promise uh, initiative is uh, working directly with uh, staff and residents um, in the facilities. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Can you can y'all talk a little bit about like the partnership between uh, Vera and Milpa and how that came about? Uh, definitely. So I can. I'd love to actually ground us a little bit in sharing, you know, about restoring promise. Um, Let's go. Yeah. And then um, I can pass it over to Chris to share more about um, Milpa specifically. Um, we are partners in this work, restoring promise uh, in. 2017, we opened up our first uh, housing unit in Connecticut. Um, that is the TRUE, uh, the TRUE unit. That's an acronym and name that the, the mentors and staff came up with there. Um, the TRUE unit uh, was started and Restoring Promise is such a unique uh, initiative and really just in a unique approach because we are two organizations, right? Working for the um, for a shared purpose. Um, we are led by Vera Institute of Justice and MILPA and focusing on creating housing units that are grounded in human dignity for young adults in prison. Um, and that is such a specific and unique um, uh, you know, community of people that we are working uh, for and with. Uh, Vera Institute of Justice specifically is powered by hundreds of advocates and researchers and activists, um, all working really to transform the criminal legal system and immigration systems until they, um, you know, are showing uh, that they are fair for all. That is what we all do on a daily basis. Um, I'll pass it over to Chris to share more about MILPA, and then I'll kind of um, ground us a little bit more, I think, in you know, what Restoring Promise is and what we do. And Milpa is a nonprofit that is led by formerly incarcerated Chicano indigenous, uh, you know, leaders uplifting race equity in prison systems nationwide. Um, Milpa was uh, started and founded um, after some officer-involved shootings that took place um, in Salinas, California around 2015. Um, there was back-to-back -back incidents that really, um, you know, caused... Uh, harm to the community and really shook up the community. Um, and so stakeholders started to rally together and say, you know, we need a, a space to be provided for our folks to be able to uh, process what has happened. Um, the impact, uh, you know, one of the officer involved shootings um, happened in broad daylight, right after school, children were walking around, the body lay there uh, for hours. Um, I want to say I it might have even been handcuffed. Um, and so folks were, were seeing this. And so, you know, as we know, um, for too long, um, this has been going on. And and our folks really, you know, um, have to process that and heal from that. We really do this work in conjunction with and collaboration with those who are most impacted. And so I really see Restoring Promise as like, you know, we're the conduit to change, right? We are we are uh, the change makers, the people really doing the hard work of shifting and transforming uh, the culture inside of prisons are those who are incarcerated and those who um, work inside of the prisons. Um, and so we have partnerships um, within and housing units within uh, Colorado, Connecticut, Idaho, uh, Massachusetts, we have a, uh, there's Restoring Promise um, unit within a jail in Massachusetts, um, in North Dakota, and in South Carolina. Um, and within all of those states, we 
we work collaboratively um, over time to really um, to hone in on, you know, what what is the baseline, right? And so that's kind of the data, like we're collecting data, we're, we're learning about the ad, we're using admin data, we're using, you know, who's in solitary, right? Looking at the race equity of it all, what's, who's, who, who do we see in solitary confinement or, or restrictive housing, you know, d- various names, depending on where you are in the country? Um, who do we see um, within the education and the vocational programs, like who's being disciplined um, and how are they being disciplined? And so we really are using, um, you know, our core values to really say, you know, hey, people in prison deserve to be treated with dignity, experience safety, healing, support, and connection to their family and loved ones. Um, we really want people to succeed when they return home. In order to do that, you have to ensure that, you know, if if America is going to be reliant on this system that we currently have, which is a prison system <laughs> and a, a carceral system, then we have to ensure that the space that we're putting people in you know, the punishment is the sentence. The punishment is them going to prison or being detained or held. Um, and But the accountability, right, the, the transformation, the culture change, the the healing that takes place, uh, we have to ensure that the, the space and the environment is conducive to that. And that's what Restoring Promise works with our partners to really ensure um, that the spaces can be as humane as possible and people are feeling valued and that they have purpose within these spaces while they are incarcerated. Um, And so we work with, um, you know, 18 to 25 year olds. We have um, the young adults are coached by what we call mentors, um, but really just, um, you know, wiser, (laughs) wiser individuals who've been inside a prison and really um, they work side by side with the staff inside um, to really help people realize their full potential and purpose. Um, They have classes, uh, financial literacy, conflict, med- um, excuse me, mediation, and really like a healthy connection to family and community, knowing that everyone is going home at some point, right? Most people yeah. are going home at some point. And so we have to make sure we keep those ties. Um, and we use our data to really, to say, you know, exploring what is the issue inside of the prisons in a way to analyze um, and understand so that we can then make informed solutions and develop, uh, you know, develop along the way. And so we have like three month increments after the units are open, six month, nine months, where we're continuing to use data to really inform the TA, the technical assistance, um, that Chris can actually talk about that a little bit as well. I can go deeper into the data if you're interested. Um, wasn't sure if your audience wants to hear lots about data, but we can. So just let me know what you want to hear. Well, I guess I'm, I'm interested looking at Restoring Promises website. You, you say disrupting status quo research methods. We're changing the way research is done about incarcerated people. Um, research in prison should be conducted with people, not on people. So I guess, you know, I, you, you spoke to that a little bit, but I, I, the, where I'm, what I'm thinking about a lot is, like, what does the research on the back end look like? How are you measuring success um, once you're sort of established in a housing unit and established a process? Definitely. So we use um, prison culture surveys, and so those surveys go out to everyone in the facilities kind of to create this baseline data. Um, and that's, sorry to interrupt, that's staff and and sort of residents, right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Staff and specifically for the housing units for um, young people to really understand, like, how do you feel like safety? And so, you know, it's funny, you know, talking to an architect, safety can feel um, and be viewed as something that is very much like external, but also your environment creates yep. 
and emotional safety, right? And so we really want to focus on both of those things, right? And so how do you feel? And so collecting that data at the very beginning to understand, you know, do staff feel safe? Do staff feel valued? Because you understand that, you know, the more staff feel safe, the more staff feel valued, their purpose inside of that prison, um, you know, is then they can do the work. People can't right. really do the work when they're functioning out of fear and functioning in this non-safe space. And so we really collect that that data through the prison culture survey. Um, we do CRCTs, which are, um, you know, random control trials. Um, we've done that in, in South Carolina and working on that um, in Idaho soon. Um, and we also have uh, studies um, that are coming later in terms of like toward liberation. So understanding what happens to people when they actually leave prison. Um, but for the purpose of this conversation, the collaboration piece is that, um, yes, the prison culture surveys have us understanding what people are experiencing, but even um, the writing of the findings and recommendations, like the documents that we are then sending out to the directors of the, these DOCs, that is in collaboration with, like the writing is actually done with those who are incarcerated in those. Oh, lines. really? Yeah. So like none of this is just restoring promise. We are literally just guiding the process to change. Right. Because the sustainability really is in when we you know, when this partnership ends, we need this to continue going forward. And so we're providing the tools, the knowledge, the know how and working with states, you know, along the way. But they are guiding us to changing their system. And that includes those who are incarcerated. Uh, that's so fascinating. We've we've been talking about sort of in architecture, you, you have a process and you have a building, you have a product, right? So uh, it's one thing that if you sort of design a building, just kind of gathering information from clients and then you say, okay, we're going to go away now, we're going to go design a building. And then you bring it back and, you know, you obviously talk with them and say, what do you like about this? You start making changes, you make design decisions. But at the end of the day, if you design a building sort of in a, in a bubble, uh, without like a lot of collaboration with your client, your client's going to get a project and they're going to walk away and they're going to, you're going to walk away and they're going to be like, all right, well, how do I maintain this now? And exactly. if, if they don't understand the nuances of the building as well as you do, then that's not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily helpful because that thing's going to be around for a long time. Like they need to, they need to feel like they created it maybe you even more so than you do. You right. need the buy-in of people and people, people's genuine buy-in and sustainability comes from their input, their voices being heard and actually seeing solutions that included what they had to say and what they thought. Right. So I'd love for Chris to actually hop in and talk about um, a little bit about number one, just like now that we have this data, like how do we help to like guide and course correct and what we do, like how we use the data once we're actually in the sites and working with them when we have the housing units open. But also, Chris, I'd love for you to share how we specifically we can talk about North Dakota, right? Chris and I um, helped to open up the North Dakota unit. Um, the process with our partner that we've worked with, the architect for mass design, and like the process, how the incarcerated folks and the staff were included in that process. I think you'd really find this intriguing. Of course. I could get to the collaborative uh, process, right? And what's different about this approach. Um, but I'd like to share really quickly just to frame this. Um, as as I mentioned, how uh, you know the organization, uh, a grassroots, uh, you know, community based organization was founded, um, was was you know really listening to the community, right? Um, the harm that had been caused, uh, the impact on the people, and how to best move forward. So that same approach comes to restoring promise as we push for change, creating alternative housing units, you know, grounding the grounding the units in dignity, um, you know, based on um, um, helping to create a restorative culture in prisons, right? So again, we have to come in and understand what is the harm that has been caused, 
who has been impacted, and how do we best move forward? Many people know and come to understand this as restorative practices, um, but again, this is rooted in indigenous culture and um, and 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 learning and philosophy, right? Uh, there is no hierarchy. Everyone sits in a circle. Everyone is equal, um, and everyone's val uh, opinion is valued. Uh, so that's kind of how we approach this work. Uh, Clinique uh, mentioned it a little bit as far as the process that that goes into this. Uh, what is different uh, from your standard uh, research on people is that this research is with the folks that are most directly impacted, that being staff and residents. Um, you know, we've come to understand that uh, oftentimes the research really shows, um, you know, some of the uh, other underlying factors uh, that 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 involve staff, um, whether they take some of what they see inside prison home or whether they come into the prison with some of what, you know, may be uh, impacting them outside of that. It really, really does have an impact on, <clears throat> you know, the way that corrections are done. Um, so, so we understand this. Um, in the process of working with mass design, as Clinique mentioned, it took, uh, you know, many weeks of coming together and, uh, you know, uh, getting to understand what were some of the the challenges inside prison, um, and then also some of the highlights. You know, um, some of the things that do work, like having a kitchen inside of a unit or having your own washroom or uh, what it would look like uh, to actually have, uh, you know, family come and see where you live at, you know, and what that would mean um, for your family to understand that you're in a safe place, that it's a clean environment, and that the people that are there are actually there to help you. Could you talk a little bit about how you get involved with these different DOCRs? Definitely. Um, so... For our sites, the current sites that we have, um, we use an, an RFP process, which is like a request for proposals. And so um, kind of we put out a call, right? A call a call to action to, to states across the country and say- You, you know, put out an RFP. Yes. So oh, okay, okay. And so, and I think that's unique too, right? Like we're not going to states and saying, hey, you must do this versus they're like, hey, we recognize that- you know, we we need assistance in this area. Specifically, most of them come to us, like help us, right, with the young adults. They're a unique, you know, unique group of folks that um, a lot of states may make many, many changes, many, many transformations, but still realize, as North Dakota actually did, that we still, there's still something very unique about young adults that we need assistance with. And so they come to us saying, you know, hey, we'd like to apply to work with you all um, for the technical assistance. And so um, our last kind of uh, round of, um, Applicants that were selected was Idaho, Colorado, and North Dakota. Your your whole your side of your the country, <laughs> I think. Um, and so we've actually opened up um, uh, North Dakota and Colorado in the last. Um, they both just recently celebrated one year of their their housing units being opened. Um, and so with North Dakota specifically, it's like a process of you know now that we are partners, the hard work the the hard work really begins, right? So it's it's hard to acknowledge that you need assistance from you know someone and say, hey, let us. Can you help us? But then the hard work of having really kind of, you know, these oftentimes hard and uncomfortable conversations, right? Race and culture and, and equity and how we treat people, how we view people, the, the names that we call people, whether it's their first name or by inmate so-and-so, right? And so that that work starts to go into it. And, and whether, you know, if the value that we see, we see, you know, um, 
budgets are often aligned with your where you see value. And so where what does your budget show? Like where does the investment go? And so how do we kind of redesign a unit together? Um, and we do that over the course of about six months to a year where we work together to really design what this space will look like, feel like, but also what will be the policies and practices that um, that really sustain the sustain this space. And so we work on reviewing policies for the DOCR specifically. We review policies and put in policy amendments, um, specifically changing um, the the biggest changes that really come about is within the disciplinary process, like how we hold people accountable in this country in general, right? And so specifically within prisons, it's really important. So we we try to um, kind of align accountability with humanity, right? Mm. And so that means restorative justice. That means everyone, as Chris kind of mentioned, like everyone, there's no hierarchy in the, in the, in the room. And so even with conflict, when conflict arises, you know, everyone has a um, you know, understanding the harm, right? Understanding the harm, addressing the harm, the root of the harm, and moving forward, not staying in this place. I feel like punishment is actually where we stay in that place, right? No, nothing yep. is actually learned from punishment. And so um, we try to move things forward through restorative practices and restorative justice. You talked about those hard conversations. And I'm also thinking about sort of what's the purpose of all of this? Like, what is the purpose of sending someone to a detention facility? Like, what are we hoping to get out of it? Can you talk about what is what is the experience and what's the process of having those hard conversations? And how do you build trust with sort of administration and staff uh, while at the same time, like pushing them to sort of evolve their thinking into uh, more humane practices? Definitely. Um, so Chris is probably uh, laughing in California because uh, Clinique is, um, I enjoy having the the hard conversations. I enjoy, <laughs> I'm that person. Um, I enjoy having the hard conversations. I enjoy um, having the, you know, finding the courage in myself to have those conversations mm-hmm. and then equipping and creating safe spaces for our partners to then have the courage to engage in those conversations. Like no change can actually come without having those conversations. And so we build trust um, slowly. It takes time, right? We're we're an outside organization coming in saying, hey, this is what we noticed about your data. This is what we've been told and the surveys show and here are our recommendations, right? And so you have to be, you have to build trust to be able to then bring those recommendations and and, and actually implement them. And so um, we work with um, with directors. We work like directors and, you know, in other states are called commissioners. And so we work with the top executive leadership. Um, we, um, we continue to have you know, one-on-one conversations at times. We have spaces where, and Kristen even talked to that, we have spaces created for uh, line staff because oftentimes line staff are feeling just as disempowered as those who are incarcerated, depending on, you know, the topic. And so understanding that there are various ways in which, um, you know, I'll be very frank, the various ways in which white supremacy kind of rears its head in, in just systems. And so understanding that it's not just a black and white, brown, indigenous kind of thing. It's an issue that all of us are having to sit with and understand the harm that's been done. And so we really we share that through training. Um, Chris is one of our amazing uh, training facilitators where we have a two-week training where we're really just having dialogue and understanding the history. Like, how did we get here, right? Like, we can't really talk about solutions right. for mass incarcerations without understanding the roots of it. And so we talk about the roots. Um, 
we talk about, you know, how, what healing looks like and different ways of healing and traditional ways of healing. And, you know, how far has that gotten us? Right. And, and maybe we should all, you know, reconsider some doing something different. And, and Milpa brings in a great, um, uh, like a change makers kind of training to say, you know, Hey, this is how you, you know, these are ways in which we can heal. This is why healing is important. And so all of that work, it sounds very, uh, um, it's slow, it's slow and steady, but the relational work is how restoring promise uniquely does the the hard work um, by building relationships, building trust, creating safe spaces so that when we leave, like we fly out of North Dakota and the staff and incarcerated folks still have to work and in, in, in reside in a space together. And so they are then having healing circles on their own, right? They are then confiding in staff about things they never would have thought that they could actually confide in a staff person, a correctional staff person about. And so um, we see, you know, we see the change and with any change, right? It's it's, it's, uh, you know, it may look kind of shaky, <laughs> um, but it's always on an incline for restoring promise units. We really do see the data shows us that, you know, even after just six months to a year, staff feel safer, staff feel valued. Those who are incarcerated feel like staff are hearing them and, and really are concerned about them. They ask about their family members, right? They're meeting their family now for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're doing that work together. That's kind of really the root of how Restoring Promise does um, does and tackles the hard the hard work. The hard heart work, as one of our colleagues Eli Milpa likes to say, the hard heart work is what we do. Um, we do that together. Doing the hard work is important, and and the hard work uh, is very important to be able to go out and then do the hard work, right? As Clinique mentioned, the quote uh, by my colleague Eli Gonzalez. Um, <clears throat> we've had to. Uh, you know, start in community, um, you know, with with just organizing the community and getting people involved, civically activating them. Uh, we've worked uh, to facilitate programs for young people in community schools, probation schools, um, juvenile facilities, um, county and state facilities. Uh, so the best practices that we take from the last 15 years, um, you know, we began to share with partners, you know, across the United States. You know, that's, that's kind of how we came into the partnership with with the Vera Institute of Justice, we said, hey, you know, um, you've been doing this for a while. We're doing this locally. Uh, how would it look if we expanded upon that and and found other people that are doing great work across the United States? And and so, you know, North Dakota stood out. Obviously, North Dakota was already doing their work by taking trips to Norway and understanding, uh, you know, other projects that were happening. Um, leadership, you know, uh, identified it, applied. And and so, yeah, you know, we came there uh, to 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 understand some of the dynamics of the state, you know, the, the state of North Dakota is very unique uh, to other regions of the country. You know, um, uh, y- y- many people from Minneapolis, you know, Idaho, uh, Illinois, a lot of different places move to North Dakota. Um, but in North Dakota, we understand that there's very hardworking people. Um, and so people go there for a new opportunity. Um, oftentimes that, you know, that translate into people struggling, you know, and, and maybe finding themselves um, in, in, in incarcerated or, or just, you know, dealing with poverty. Um, I spoke to it earlier, you know, there's, there's, you know, physical challenges, behavioral challenges, and then the social and emotional um, of being in a new state, in a new environment, um, trying to, uh, you know, make it through. And so our training is really, really important when we come in to work with the young people, young adults, residents, staff, uh, to ha- to offer um, kind of a healing, um, informed, healing-centered approach. Um, it's, it's really centered in the relationships 
getting to understand the people, the challenges, you know, where you come from, what you had to navigate. And again, rethinking the accountability that goes into each and every one of our parts, right? Again, the hard work. We have to mirror and really look at ourselves to say, this is the trauma that I'm coming from and what I need to overcome. And, you know, also just really kind of on a, a granular level, you know, we have regularly scheduled meetings um, all throughout, um, you know, our time working with our partners to ensure that there's always opportunity to address the challenges because prison is still prison, even with restoring promise. Right. And so um, even with a, you know, uh, uh, transform space, there's, it's still prison. People are still harmed just by way of walking into prison every day. Right. And so I think those triggers and things and the challenges and understanding that also doing something different and, and making change is hard. And so we have constant kind of contact um, to ensure that we are um, continuing to provide the support that folks need along this journey. It's definitely a journey um, to transform spaces that are, you know, historically just rooted in oppression. And so um, that doesn't, that doesn't escape us just because we're Strong promise steps in. And so we want to make sure that we're um, not naive to the fact that, um, you know, challenges still need to be addressed throughout. Um, but I think, um, you know, even just kind of touching on um, the data, um, we measure, right? We measure success through the, the disciplinary through the uh, how people are disciplinary disciplined um the you know are they now having more circles and restorative circles instead of people being you know people aren't kicked off the unit solitary confinement is no longer an option for restoring promise housing units right those types of changes and really measuring that and showing how that then correlates to safer housing units um you know some of our states had historically very you know, violent incidents and violent housing units like on a daily basis. And within our units, um, you know, major violent incidents just don't happen anymore. That's not coincidence, right? That's that's an intentional, um, intentional practices to do something different. And I think that's what all of our states have committed to. And they they really are going above and beyond to ensure that, you know, their commitment to making spaces more humane for those who live there and work there because their staff are a very important piece of the puzzle um, is addressed. So I appreciate that. So if I can maybe push us into the future a little bit, um, but also try to ground us still in what you're doing now, you know, I, it seems like if I can try to put it succinctly and please tell me if this is being somewhat reductive, uh, I apologize if so, but a lot of the work you're doing is focused on just transforming sort of spaces and processes to try to make being in these facilities, working in these facilities more humane and and uh, providing an opportunity for people to truly uh, deal with their trauma and, and move forward in their lives. Yes, we're creating housing units that people can, you know, find spaces to heal, <laughs> creating healing spaces. Yeah. I wanted to clarify that a little bit because I've also heard you talk about mass incarceration. And Clinique, you and I talked about this a little bit, but you know, when we um, when we spoke last, but I'm gonna I wanna pull from pull from one of your values. You said promise acknowledges the systemic harms done to generations of young people of color and commits to a restorative process in which they can realize their full potential until prisons become obsolete. So it feels like a lot of what you're doing is sort of the first part of that, but there's the until prisons become obsolete. How are you seeing your work at, uh, in decarceration and pushing towards uh, ending mass incarceration? I think that's a great question. Um, the future for Restoring Promise 
I think is something that is worth highlighting. And so, um, you know, we have our lessons learned with the housing units. We've seen the data. The data is showing, you know, just positive impact for young adults in these housing units, right? We have, you know, North Dakota has industrial-sized kitchen. They have a library, a mentor lounge, mediation rooms, washer, dryer, like all those different things. And so we've seen the impact on changing, um, you know, the pilot. The pilot units are what we have across the country. The next step for Restoring Promise starting the summer, we're actually um, moving toward um, part of our initiative is called Design for Dignity, where, you know, it's the next chapter we're based on the data, based on our experience, we're taking um, restoring promise to everyone, not simply focusing on young adults, right? And so taking this healing and this approach, so through training, through policy changes, practice changes, and and I think I mentioned this earlier, there's like they're focusing on the budget, like the reallocation of resources, um, where we then shift the entire system to focus on humanity for all, right? And so it won't just be 18 to 25 year olds who will be able to walk out of prisons um, feeling restored, feeling like they didn't lose their humanity inside, feeling like they are more connected to mom and dad or grandma or, you know, the neighbor when they walk out, feeling connected and feeling more whole. Um, it's not just for 18 to 25 year olds. And so that's what Restoring Promise, our new, our next phase, we'll be identifying, um, uh, we'll be working with um, one of our site partners to you know, identify the lessons learned and then apply those more widely, roll out training based on that. Um, and like I said, really just focus on the sustainability of it all um, over the course of a, about a three-year strategy. And so um, Restoring Promise believes, truly, truly believes that decarceration should always be the focus, right? Keeping people connected to their communities and their families outside of the prison walls should always be the goal. That is our goal and everything. That is the conversation that we're having during COVID. That was a very heavy part of our technical assistance work. Like, okay, here we are. We're not opening up a housing unit at the moment, right? We had a, a pause in terms of how long it would take to open up a housing unit because the there was a, it was a crisis happening. And so we knew that COVID, right, in order to keep people safe inside, people were dying inside. In order to keep people safe inside, you needed to let them go home. They needed to be outside, right? And so you had to decarcerate those spaces. And so we saw that decarceration is possible, right? We saw that with intentionality, it's possible. Um, and so that's always our goal. That should be the forefront of conversations for us as Restoring Promise, Vera, Milpa, for advocates, for architects, right? That should be when you walk into these rooms and these spaces, when you all start really doing this work and saying, how can we help? you, one, recreate and redesign your space to be much more humane, but also how do we help you get people home? Like, what is it that we can do within our wheelhouse of expertise to get people home and to try and limit the impact, right? It's all about reduction of harm at this point for mass incarceration. Um, and so really anyone that truly cares about the people, the families, and just the generations <laughs> that are most impacted by mass incarceration has to first have the decarceration conversation and restoring promise is always doing that by connecting families, by connecting communities, um, and also by decentering ourselves in these conversations, right? We're saying, what are the needs of the people? And the needs of the people is to have this, this to have transparency, right, of what's happening inside and to really slowly chip away at that wall so that folks are going home. We have to create this environment that allows for the healing to take place. You know, you asked a question earlier as far as like, you know, um, the, the role or the job, right, of corrections, right? They've been committed, 
They've been uh, sentenced. They've been taken away from their family. Um, they've been removed from the community. What's the role that goes in now, right? And so, and so, 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 so we understand that hurt people hurt people. So in order, um, uh, you know, yeah, just to kind of uh, start that process, we need to create an environment first that is accessible. You know, and we talked about earlier some of the designs uh, that go into, uh, you know, allowing for residents to meet privately in a lounge, right? Or for uh, mentoring to happen inside the library when where an older uh, resident um, can pull a younger adult and take them into the library and share, you know, um, educational material. Um, you know, they have a leather making class. Uh, they have a bead making class. You know, they have activities you know, like, you know, uh, yoga and stuff like that, that they do collectively. Um, and that, again, just starts to break down barriers, break down walls, allow for relationships to be, um, you know, um, built. And then that relationship really gets to the bottom line. Why are you here? What has happened? Right. And as we start to peel away those layers and remove some of those things, deposit it. We like to say uh, 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 to deposit it in the fire, right? Anytime we're around a fire and we're telling stories, right? Traditionally, they're good, they're bad, they're scary, you laugh. And so that just brings out, um, you know, the individual, the individuality. And we can say, you know what? Um, it's not what's wrong with you. It's with what's right with you, your resiliency, you know, how you continue, even through all of this hardship, try to be better because we know through the data that most people will return to our communities. And so what are we doing in this process? Five years, 10 years, one year, 25 years where someone is incarcerated to ensure that that person has that rehabilitation that is in the name of corrections. So we have like, uh, you know, four minutes left. Is there is there anything that you all want to touch on or, or speak to? Um, that we haven't sp spoken about thus far? You haven't shared about sort of your work? Yeah, you know, it takes individuals, you know, to build a culture and, and 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 you know, um, I'm just one of those, right? Clinique is just one of those. And so, right. uh, just, you know, a call to folks that, that, that really want to, you know, have an impact on, on, on community and build, right? Um, you know, I know, you know, corrections is always hiring, you know, and, 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 and it's changing. And so, you know, just, you know, we need as many people in the movement as possible. And so in closing, just, you know, a call out to those that have done the hard work and are willing to do the hard work. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is just, I love for folks to walk away after hearing Chris and I talk about something that's clearly passionate for the two of us as individuals, but just our organization is to really also understand like our, we all have um, responsibility, right? For where our country is um, and what we do moving forward and for the generations, like our children's children, right? And so um, it's no, it's no secret America leads the world in incarceration rates. Um, but yeah. as long as this country is using this form of punishment and people continue to be detained, and these really oppressive just environments. Um, we just need to ensure that the conditions inside um, leave people with some sense of dignity, right? Um, and those who are impacted, and that's those who live in there and those who work in there. Um, that's what keeps us going, Chris and Clinique, right? And our partners and our, our colleagues and all of us at Restoring Promise, it keeps us going and motivated to create change. There are people inside who don't at the moment 
have a seat at the table. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're we're moving chairs aside to create seats for them to be able to, you know, just continue to make this change and impact. Um, and so I think Restoring Promise is doing that work and we look forward to continuing to do that work and hopefully, you know, in partnership with architects like you all to do the work inside as well. Uh, thank you so much for um, all your efforts and your passion and, and taking the time today. Thank you. We've appreciated the conversation. Yeah, thank you, definitely. Episode 5, the Community Matters Podcast, JLG Architects. To learn more about Clinique and Chris and about Restoring Promise, please refer to the links in our show notes below. And to continue the conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Please share with friends, family, or colleagues because together our communities can make a difference.